So many great things going on at the church. I want to uh, say hello to Elk River, Maple Grove, those watching online. What a great day to be in church today and uh, experience what God is doing, his fresh air. Everybody take a breath. Breathe out. You know, there's just something about breathing and we've been talking about fresh air. There's so many other things outside of our Sunday morning services that you have an opportunity to be a part of. Uh, don't miss something, the, the bulletin uh, program that we hand out when you come in. Please get one if you haven't already gotten it. There's so many good things coming up. I don't want you to miss out on tonight. We have our Unite Night of Worship. All three campuses coming together in Spring Lake Park at 6 o'clock. We're going to worship. It's going to be all generations. Three years old on up will be in the sanctuary. And we're going to have a lot of fun worshiping. And then right after that, we've got baptisms. We've got over 30 people getting baptized tonight at church. And uh, we can't wait for that. It's going to be a fun night. You don't want to miss tonight at 6 o'clock. And then there's uh, an event coming up for our women. It's a simple gift, and uh, that you saw the video about it. But <clears throat> just want to encourage you, ladies, get your tickets now. It's this is only a week from this coming Friday, and so make sure that you get your tickets as quick as you can. They're available in all of our lobbies. It's important to not miss the moment. Turn to the person next to you and say, "Don't miss the moment." <laughs> Don't miss it. Uh, there's a lot going on, and we want to make sure you're aware of what's happening. Part four of our Fresh Air series is today. You know, we've talked about the need for breathing in the fresh air of heaven, the presence of God, and how it's really essential for us. It goes all the way back to Genesis in the garden where God breathed that first breath into the first human beings. And his breath brings something. It brings life. It brings hope. It brings joy. Sometimes it breathes out the junk. And we live in a toxic generation, don't we? where there's sarcasm and bitterness and anger and accusation and parties against parties, people against people. We need to break away from that and get the fresh air of heaven in our souls to remember who we are and let the love of God come out of us instead of somebody else's Facebook post. Hello. I don't want to be triggered by anything other than God's presence and how I relate to the world that's around me. And we've talked about how God meets with us and he meets with us individually and corporately when we come together as a church at the dedication of the temple. And, and then last week we looked at Psalm 24 and how who may ascend or who may climb the hill of the Lord. And, and really the reason we want to go up and meet with God is there's a heart-to-heart -heart meeting between us and God, not just an outward form of a meeting and a formal type of engagement to please God somehow, but he wants to meet with us heart-to-heart. -heart. Everybody say heart-to-heart. And so we've got, we've got to go on that journey. And as we move in that direction, our responsibility is to make sure we humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. Not hide anything. He sees it all anyways. But when we humble ourselves, his grace and his mercy come in, comes in. And there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So no matter who you are and your background and, and what you've gone through, maybe you've messed up, maybe you've gone through some stuff nobody knows about. But I want you to know when you come humbly before God, he does not turn away from you. You, you have an opportunity to receive his grace, his strength, and his presence comes to free you from the guilt, to free you from the bondage, to free you from the other stuff, and to give you life so that you can be all that you can be, baby. God is not done with you, and you have an opportunity if you humble yourself, all right? You can do it. You can do it. Amen. Today, the title of the message is Worship Goes First. Say that with me. Worship Goes First. 
And uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You can turn there, if you will, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we'll get to a part of the text. This is going to be a big moment for me today. Was I want you to dive into the text, but I want you to catch something. When we worship, it's an invitation for God to, for, to him to breathe his fresh air into us. And as we worship him, there are often things between us and God, battles. Anybody know the struggle is real? And uh, when the struggle is real, there's conflict between us and people, us and the bank account, us and our relationships that are in our life, and, and the battle, and we're wondering, and we're worrying, and we think about uh, things we can't control, and that's where anxiety comes into play. And, and when we can't control something, and it may be our kids, it may be a relationship, it may be that we've lost favor uh, with, with our, 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 our place of employment or at school, and, and we're like, why doesn't she like me? Why doesn't he like me? And we can get into the kind of the circle of a battle where it feels like confusion reigns, and it's like, I can't have peace. And right in the middle of that, we need to remember, if those are the things we keep in front of us, we will lose the battle. But we're going to see how in 2 Chronicles 20, we can win the battle, and in the middle of the battle, God can kind of tunnel in and, and bring in his, his fresh air right in the middle of the battle and enable us to win the battle. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're going to win this one. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is about a king named Jehoshaphat. He's the king of Judah, but to understand the difference between Judah and Israel means that you've got to go back several years. You've got to go back generations. You see, when Israel came into its promised land, everything started with kind of a good start. They had the tabernacle, and then eventually they brought, David brought the ark back into Jerusalem, and then his son Solomon built the temple, and we preached on this just a couple weeks ago, and how God's presence, his fire came, and, and the presence of God filled the temple, and in those previous generations, as if it were 50 or 60 or 70 years ago, the people of God turned to God, and that was always God's plan, that he would be the centerpiece of their life. But along the way, other things kind of slipped into place and, and Solomon's son didn't follow God the way Solomon did or his grandpa David. And, and now, now Solomon's son was wicked and the nation was split apart. And now there were two different nations. It was like a civil war occurred. And in those two different nations side by side, you had Israel and Judah. And there were two separate kings, successions of kings. And by the time we meet this story, we will see Jehoshaphat, who has just, uh, in, in the Second Chronicles, you'll see that he has received the kingdom from his father Asa. Asa had been a good king of Judah. He had brought religious reform into the entire nation. He had made God the centerpiece of the country until the very end of his reign. And at the end of his reign, he missed it. And by the way, there's a little footnote that I just want to slip in here. Some of us have served the Lord for decades. Don't lose it at the end. Don't lose it now. Don't forget what brought you to where you are. And for Asa, he had messed it up. And then 
he died. And his son Jehoshaphat took over. And as soon as Jehoshaphat stepped in, there was kind of this moment. And by the way, Jehoshaphat, one of the best benefits of his life was he was raised in Asa's house when Asa was good. So he remembered the good things. He remembered the way of following the Lord. So Jehoshaphat actually reversed course on what his father had done the last couple years of his life. And he brought Judah back to following God. And he did the right thing. The only problem was all the nations around him, Mexico and Canada and wherever else around him, all sensed and sniffed blood in the water. They saw a new king who was vulnerable and didn't have the whole nation behind him. And they all kind of set up their armies around and they were coming to fight him. And so Jehoshaphat is freaking out. How many of you have ever gotten news that something bad was coming and something uh, you didn't like was coming and you started freaking out? The transmission went out on the minivan. Yes, we had minivans back in the day. I remember going, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? And, you know, there's a new person that's going to be the governor of the, of the state or a new president. And, you know, everybody that wants to say the sky is falling and the country's going to fall apart. And I mean, I, I remember all those. And people are freaking out. Jehoshaphat receives news from God that is so powerful at this moment, because his heart is right and he was turning towards God, God sends a prophet to speak to him in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. And this is what the prophet told him as he faced this impending danger. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So God sends this word and says, don't worry. Don't freak out. For the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. How many are ready for that word to be spoken over your life today? To not worry, to not be afraid, to not be concerned, because the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And so Jehoshaphat receives this word. He gains a sense of confidence. He turns around and he leads the nation now in knowing what to do next. In verse 20, it says, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa and on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and he said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Say that out loud with me. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers. <laughs> Not exactly what you'd think for a battle plan, right? But this is something that they had done throughout all of Israelite history. If you recall, when they were first coming into the promised land, and they were facing Jericho, what did Joshua do? He sent them to go around the city seven times, um, and then on the seventh day that they did it, the walls came down. What? He sent the praisers ahead. 
there's kind of a, a pattern that God sends, a strategy for all of his battles. And that is, we worship him and he wins the battle. If we send anything else ahead of us, we don't win the battle. We need him to win it. And then he says, after um, verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing and give their praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. And King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to, out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. And they marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, guitars, and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. Verse 29, when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. I have Pastor Mark here today. And as we were preparing the message and thinking about what we we're going to talk about, the text led to talking about the singers went ahead. And I started thinking, you know what? When we do church services, the singers go ahead. And we're trying to follow that biblical pattern. But even more important in how we think as a church, we should always put God first. And not just, uh, not just put up with the singing and the worship, hello, but to be people that recognize, we're going to follow what Jehoshaphat recognized, and we're going to worship God and then he wins the battle, and then we're going to walk in it. And that's how we lead. And so side by side, Pastor Mark and myself, we are leading different aspects of our church. So he's leading. He's the lead worship pastor for all three of our campuses. And then he works with great teams in Elk River, in Maple Grove, and here in Spring Lake Park. They're amazing. But he and I need to be together. We can't be uh, fighting with each other. We can't have animosity between each other. We've got to be on the same page. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so if we are, then we win the battle. And sometimes when we win, we don't even realize that we're singing and God's winning battles we don't know about. So when you're singing, God is doing stuff in the battles that we don't even understand or, or, or see. How many know sometimes when you're worshiping, you don't know that God's wiping the enemy out. And so I, I was, as we were preparing it, I thought, you know what? The real one that needs to take it from here is Pastor Mark, and he's going to finish my message. Would you give it up for Pastor Mark? Thank you. You doing well today? It's good to see you. How many of you heard him read that passage and you went, wait a second. What kind of a game plan is this? Like who sends musicians, guitar players, singers to battle. 
Does that seem a little bit upside down to anybody else? Just put yourself in the natural like, okay, we're going to go to war, so let's send the singers up ahead. Let's go get those creative people slaughtered. Here's the thing, God's way is upside down from ours. Here's what I notice about this text. They sent the worshipers, the singers first. Friends, worship is our first line of defense in the battle. It's your first line of defense. But how often in our lives do we let it be the last resort? Well, I got to figure this out. And then when I didn't figure it out, finally, okay, God, I'll give you a chance to fix my problem. Right? Is that just me? I'm guilty of that. But it is our first line of defense. Without it, we are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. So today, if you're facing a challenge or a hardship, a battle, or like this text said, they were led into the wilderness. How many of you felt like you've been in a wilderness season before? Is the worship your first line of defense, or is it your last resort? Because what I know about our God is that when we put him first, he takes control of the battle and does things that we can't even understand. See, friends, when we worship, we ambush the devil with a song. He can't sing it. He can't see it coming. But those, those words of hope, of deliverance, of victory, when we worship our God, he takes the battle and says, watch what I can do. When we worship, our hope in the power and the presence of God is greater than our own abilities. That means I'm saying, you know what? I could try and do this my own way, but I'm going to trust God's way. Because I know that worship is my best weapon. We can be confident in times of, times of crisis. So in those moments, do you wonder? Do you worry? Or do you worship? Because I'll often, if I'm honest, I'll take a step back and I'll wonder, what's going on here? There's that stack of bills on the counter. How are we going to pay for that? kind of worried about it. Or do I go, No. My first line of defense is to acknowledge God for who he is and what he's done. To give him thanks and praise that the battle is not mine. What did it say? The battle is not yours, but the, the Lord's. Where did they pick this idea up from? You know, if we, if we go back a few chapters, Pastor Nate referenced it. In chapter 5, when they dedicated the temple, this is what it says. It says that the trumpeters and the singers performed together in unison to praise and to give thanks to God. Accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good, his faithful love endures forever. And at that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Friends, when pure worship goes up, earthly activity is halted. Things change when we worship. I can't explain it in a common human understanding. But something shifts. Worship is one of the ways that we lean on God. Three and a half weeks ago, I had hip surgery. I know you're thinking, what, hip surgery? 
I had torn some soft tissue a number of years ago, and so they, they performed surgery. And they, the way they do it these days is incredible. My wife and I were marveled at it. That they send me home a couple hours later and say, walk on crutches for two to three weeks, and then we'll rehab you, and you'll be back to normal, okay? It's crazy. But when they gave me these crutches, the doctor said, no weight on your foot for two to three weeks. How many of you, when you hear something like that, you translate it to, I think I can get away with one to two, you kind of push it a little bit. I was determined that that was not going to be me this time. And so at two weeks, I went in for my appointment, and I went in and I put no weight on this left foot. The doctor said, I want you to start putting weight on that foot. I said, okay. I'm like, ow, that hurts. I go, it hurts. And he goes, yep. I said, but do this even though it hurts. He goes, I need you to push through the pain because you've had an injury and we've done surgery, but you need to trust me. You need to trust my words and lean on what I'm telling you. Now, here's the thing I've discovered. I didn't want to put weight on this foot because it hurt. I wanted to hold on to these babies. But we can sometimes lean on temporary things as a substitute for something that's permanent. God gave me legs. He didn't give me crutches. And he's like, boy, you better start walking again. Because I could hobble around on these things all the days of my life. And the permanent thing that God has given me would deteriorate. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? When you go to your battle, are you grabbing a crutch, the thing that you can hold on to in your own strength? Or are you holding on to the word that God has spoken over your life, over your circumstance, over your battle? Because we can choose to face adversity and battle in our own strength, or we can battle with our worship. It's up to us what we choose to respond with. Worship is not our way of giving God a tip for improving the quality of our life. You go to a restaurant, right? What do you do? You tip the server. If they filled your water enough. But that's not how our God works. It's not a bonus that we give God. Thanks, God, for solving my problems. No, worship is our way of giving God thanks because he's given us life. And that life he's given us is a full and abundant life. Let me say it this way. We don't praise God because he takes away our battles. We praise God because he is with us in the battle. <laughs> Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. Another translation says, he's a very present help in time of need. So today, my question to you is, what are you going to lean on? Are you holding on to a crutch when you've been given two legs to walk? When we worship, we're inviting God's breath of fresh air in. And when that breath of fresh air enters, the story changes. Look at the, look at the text one more time. Chapter 20. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, verse 21, singing to the Lord and praising him for his splendor. And this is what they sang. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for his faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, at that very what? At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies to start fighting amongst themselves. Think about this for a minute. The praise went up before the battle was won. We want to give God praise after he wins the battle. I'll give God thanks once he heals me. I'll give God thanks once he provides for me. But you know what they did? They said, we're going to praise, and then God will fight the battle. And the same is true for us today, friends. Worship is a posture that we choose. It's a position that we place ourselves in. And I would argue today, if you want to win, worship is not optional. It is your first and your only line of defense against the enemy. Before we take another step, Pastor Nate said it this way this week, before we take another step, we need to meet with God. Before we wonder, before we worry, we need to worship. Before we wait and see, is this going to happen? Is something going to change? We have to activate that in our heart. And that's the last thought for us today is that worship is active. Active worship pursues Jesus and passive worship waits for God to come and fix me. Active worship, it engages. And it changes us and it changes our perspective. It's agile, it's mobile, and it's ready to respond. You know, it's interesting about this passage. Chapter 20, they said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his faithful love endures forever, right? And then I rewound us back to chapter 5 where they said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. King Solomon said that. Do you know where that passage was originally? Psalm 136. Here's the thing about that day and era. When they would say that simple phrase, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. Everybody had that thing memorized. Not just that verse, they had all 26 verses memorized. And so when they spoke that one statement, it was as if they were recalling the entirety of that whole passage to the forefront. And it wasn't a token statement. It was a declaration. Their worship was their first line of defense in a battle that they already knew had been won. The same is true for us today. We have that same truth. Our God has never changed. He has never failed, and he's not going to start yet now. So we have that to hold on to. Can I read that for you this morning? In case you don't have Psalm 136 memorized... I want to share this with you, and I want you to put yourself in the place of these, these people as they stood in a valley, a wilderness, against an army that said they looked mighty and fierce, and they were afraid for their lives. I don't know what your valley, what your army is that stands in front of you today, but I want you to picture that as I read this. As they recounted and recalled the truth of who God had been to those people. Can I share that with you this morning? Psalm 136 verse 1 says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures how long? It doesn't stop. It doesn't quit. 
Verse 4, give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. And then he led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures. How long? Forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He is good. And his faithful love endures forever and ever 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 and ever. That means there's no expiration date. It's never going to stop. It's never going to quit. There's never going to be a shortage. It's never going to run out. I can't promise you that when you choose to worship first, that the outcome is that you have all this plunder and then three days you clean it all up and God gives you the victory the next moment and you walk home. What I can promise you is when you worship first, you battle God's way and when you battle God's way, you never will lose. He is faithful and his word will never return void. And so this morning on all of our campuses, we're gonna worship first. We're going to take a hold of that weapon in our hand. And not as our last ditch effort, but our first line of defense. The last thought is this. Worship sets miracles into motion. I don't know what it is that you are waiting for, believing for. But when we begin to worship first, it sets miracles into motion. And things begin to change. Hopes start to restore dreams are revived, relationships somehow start to be mended. And it takes us taking that first step of not being passive, not shrinking back, not waiting for God to come to me, but stepping up and stepping forward and stepping out in faith and stepping in boldness and confidence, knowing that our God has faithful love that endures forever. Can we stand together this morning?